Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Excited today to have Rock Stevens from Strategic Insurance. Rock, what's happening, man? Hey, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on. Happy to help and uh, give some insight into this crazy insurance market. Yeah. So uh, strategic insurance has been uh, a great resource for me as a multifamily broker because they have an instant quote tool, which I'm sure Rock will touch on. Um, but uh, with their master policy, they can they can pretty much uh, type in a couple of inputs and quickly you can get uh, an output to figure out you know what your annual insurance premium uh, is going to look like. And of course, that depends on your lender's requirements too. But um, I think I think it probably fits you know most agency lender requirements. So we can talk more about that. But Rock, let's go ahead and start with your background, your experience, and then uh, what you're focused on today. Absolutely. Yeah. So through multifamily for going on probably about seven, eight years now, really focused in insurance for the later half of that. Uh, we're now building what's going to be essentially the second largest schedule in all of Texas as it stands today. And we are rapidly growing. Um, partnered with uh, another gentleman named Dan Kandurka. He's an absolute guru in the world, but uh, he's He's kind of the mastermind behind it. And we've brought an archaic industry into the tech world, as you've mentioned with that quote tool, but we're doing that in a couple of different facets. And uh, I think what we're doing is a revolutionary way to look at multifamily insurance and to get quick and reliable pricing for people that are looking to underwrite deals so they can have something much more firm earlier in the process. And so that's what we're doing kind of from the insurance world is how can we underwrite the deals more accurately? Uh, from the very beginning, rather than getting a sticker shock price two or three weeks before closing, you know. Awesome. Okay, well, let's jump into this. So, sure. I mean, you guys may be a little bit different in the sense that everything goes on a master policy. So, mm-hmm. what what is a master policy? And then also on that, you know, what are the benefits or what are the pros? But also, what are what are the cons? Just kind of curious about that. Sure. Yeah. So first, what is a master policy? Essentially, as simple as you can break it down is it's a grouped policy where there are people sharing uh, one singular policy. Sometimes it'll be layered with multiple different carriers. It's not just going to be one carrier, Um, but it's in in an effort to get a lower premium or essentially a lower insurance rate. It helps with the management uh, of that schedule. Um, So you're having one singular date for all of these renewals rather than having renewals throughout the year. So some of my clients, if they have 30 or 40 locations, rather than keeping up with 30 or 40 different renewal dates, it's all going to be on December 15th. Very easy to go to. It's, it's all consolidated. So there's the easier management, but diversification of risk as well. You know, making sure that, uh, you know, if there ever was a loss at one property, rather than that affecting 100% of that one policy, the gains from other locations can help offset that loss. And it helps mitigate, you know, when we get to a renewal so that we don't have the large increases you're seeing in the market. Uh, some of the cons could be depending on how they're structured. I know most of the schedules people are familiar with with master schedules would be either grouped from the property management perspective or for an owner's portfolio. And a lot of times you're losing some of the bells and whistles that you might have if the insurance agent uh, himself, or in this case, the two owners of the company are actually the ones that built it. So we built it with the insurance in mind first, rather than getting a common entity such as property management or the ownership side. Um, and so we really built it with the bells and whistles. You know, how we did it was we looked back at the last, 
you know, several dozen big, big programs, the ones that are in business today and the ones that went out of business. And that's really the ones that went out of business are the more important lessons to make sure you avoid those. And we built it with all the bells and whistles of what we would want. If I was parking a million dollars of my own money, how do I want that policy to be structured? Uh, and that's really what this master schedule has been built to be. Okay. And I feel like most um, in the multifamily industry are on a master policy, um, I guess, maybe depending on how, how active and how many properties they have. Uh, if, if How many units or how many properties are on your master policy? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so it's, it's constantly growing. By the time people are listening to this, it'll probably be a lot larger than it is now. Um, but we have something to the tune of a right around 40, almost at 50,000 units. Um, we keep this as a very selective group. So we keep a small number of clients, but a large number of locations because we typically go after portfolio clients. And, and if 5% of the properties have some kind of loss, fire, hail, whatever the case may be, uh, does, that, does that in turn affect the other properties' premiums as well? Is that, is that a con of the master policy? So it's a very good question. Yeah. So the, the way that they're structured, of course, you're having the 95% to help offset that loss. So rather than looking at that 5%, if you were to have a monoline policy, meaning one property, one address on that one policy, uh, you're going to be taking the full brunt of the force. Whereas if you have the other 95% of locations helping to offset that, it helps at the renewal to make sure that you're not having such egregious renewal rates, you know, because you're getting the full brunt of that force get kicked in the teeth on that one location alone. And so that's where a lot of these, you'll actually get that offsetting factor um, and the benefit of everybody getting to kind of pull together. Um, now, if 100% of the locations on the schedule all had a claim in the same year, now, yeah, that's going to be very bad. <laughs> um, but, you know, the likelihood of how we do that and why we structure it in such a way is geographical diversity. And so we are very big sticklers about who we accept. Um, a lot of people just kind of take anybody and everybody. We have about an 83% rejection ratio. So we're very selective about who we allow on that schedule. And one of the big factors we look at is geographical diversity. And what's the concentration or exposure in certain areas? And so we want to make sure that they are heavily spread out from each other. And there's no one natural disaster that can take out a meaningful percentage of the schedule. And so when you're, when you're grooming the schedule to that minute of a degree, you can prevent having the con that you're mentioning that other schedules might have. Okay. Uh, generally, what's going on in the market right now? I mean, I would imagine it's a hard market, yeah. um, but, but what are you seeing out there? Sure. Yeah, so a lot of this is kind of a domino effect uh, from there's about a $60 billion uh, shortfall in the reinsurance market right now as of January 1st. So this is only about you know five, six weeks old kind of thing. Um, and it's affecting other states and other markets that have nothing to do with Florida, but because of their major catastrophe, that's what's created a lot of this. And so if you can imagine, let's, let's scope down to just a singular property. Let's say you get to a renewal, you have 80,000 in an escrow and the invoice is a hundred thousand. Well, you know, there's a shortfall of $20,000. Usually the owner's going to have to wire that in to true up the escrow. And then it sends it out for the full amount of the escrow or for the invoice. Um, and so that's essentially what's happening, but to the tune of about $60 billion and some estimates are as high as 80 billion. Um, but I think 60 is the commonly accepted number as of January 1st. Um, and that's what's causing these rates across the board to go up. And the safe haven is to find schedules like mine where there's a fixed rate. And so for us until December 15th, so for the next, you know, call it 10 months, 
anything that's purchased will inherit that fixed rate. Kind of think of it similar to like assuming a loan or assuming debt, you get to inherit that fixed rate for the remainder of that term. Okay. What can owners do right now uh, to, I mean, I guess, creatively lower their premium, um, get the best possible coverage at the most affordable price? It's a very good question. Yeah. So, so one of those main things, and that's kind of what I was touching on a second ago, would be that fixed rate. So if you have something that's reliable and you know that, hey, it's not, I'm not just assuming one loan on a property, my fixed rate for insurance would apply for anything that fits within a certain number of criteria. Uh, and as long as it qualifies for the master schedule, that fixed rate is reliable. And of course, you can use it for any acquisition or renewal during that term. Um, so that would be probably one of the best ways. Now, next would be also kind of repositioning the acquisition strategy. Um, if people were originally looking at coastal markets, I would strongly advise for the next probably 18 to 24 months to rethink the, the acquisition strategy if you're living in coastal areas. I really think that that $60 billion shortfall is going to have a, a heavy effect on tier one, tier two coastal counties, probably for the next year and a half, at least. Um, and that's going to be across the board. Okay. What are typical exclusions or limitations of coverage in a multifamily uh, real estate insurance policy? And then how can property owners ensure uh, they're adequately covered? Sure. Yeah, so I think the one of the first things when you ask that it makes me think of would be general liability. Um, and so one of the big things that we do is we heavily redline quotes and we'll send them back to brokers, probably at a higher rate than most. And some of those that we look to avoid would be, let's say, for example, you know, an assault and battery exclusion or a firearms exclusion, animal exclusions, um, or if there's sublimits for any of these either, we always avoid those. We want to make sure that there's full limit coverage on these. Uh, punitive damages, you know, the, the things you don't want to hear, but, you know, rape, assault, murder, things like that. Of course, those things happen too. And if you're not covered for those, you know, it's, it's essentially as good as a wet piece of paper. And I'll give you a quick example. There's times I've seen policies come from other agents where they will have firearms coverage for the full limit, but there's a $25,000 sublimit on assault and battery. Now, if you really think about that, those essentially negate each other because you can't use a firearm and it not be an assault or battery. And so there's times where knowing what's actually in the policy is extremely important because you would think you have coverage, but in fact, you really don't when it comes to a lawsuit. And that's where you really need an expert to, to who understands the policy um, and knows what they're selling. What are some common misconceptions about multifamily uh, insurance and how can property owners avoid falling into those traps? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things that I'd probably uh, to kind of target and I'll try to keep it short because this is a little bit more in depth. But I'd say one of those being, you know, if you're shopping in the open market now for us, this doesn't matter because I we own the, our own program. Um, but there's what's called a frozen market or a blocked market. And so let's just use like, two quick uh, examples. Let's say one of those where five agents are going to shop this because there's a lot of big groups or different masterminds that teach, Hey, go get several quotes and compare them. It's actually shooting yourself on the foot by doing that. Um, and so let's say if you go to five different agents and they all submit an application to the same underwriter at one singular company versus you pick your insurance partner, you vetted them, you find the guy you like, and he goes to five different programs. The difference being in that first scenario, if you get five applications as one singular underwriter, it shows a high risk factor. There's a high uncertainty there. Plus, they're only going to release the quote to the very first person in line, 
the other four agents are going to get blocked. They actually will not release a quote at all. And so what happens is not only are you increasing uncertainty in the underwriter's perspective, um, you'll actually come back empty handed on the chronological, you know, second through fifth person. And so what happens is there's a lot of agents stepping on each other's toes, trying to race to the market. And instead of doing that and shooting yourself on the foot, the better scenario would be, you know, if you have, let's say you go interview or pick five different people and you get down to one person, pick them as your trusted partner and build them as a part of your team across your portfolio and know that he's going out to multiple different programs. And then he's cross comparing and shopping between the companies to get the right price, you know, the best coverage at the right price. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of the right strategy. Now for us, we don't have to go to the open market. We, we have a fixed rate. That's essentially the lowest in the market. And, and, you know, that's our bread and butter, but just kind of as a general hole in, in the insurance market, I think that's a big misconception with, uh, what what is taught at a lot of different masterminds. I guess another one that I would say would be um, the second example here. Another misconception would probably be using a per door price as a metric to compare insurance. That is a big misconception. The better way of looking at it would be what's called rate per hundred. Or if you want to think in the acquisition world, the difference between buying price per door versus price per square foot. Right, Because if you had a little 400 square foot efficiency unit in Austin versus a 1500 square foot townhome in San Antonio, right, or Dallas or pick a market, you know, at the end of the day, your your per door price is largely affected 400 square foot versus 1500 square foot, but you could equate them more similarly on a per square foot basis. And so I think in insurance, that really does translate. And so when people speak in price per door, the very first question I ask them is, well, what's the average size of the unit? And that almost always stumps them because they don't compare them in a weighted average basis with respect to the size of the unit. It would be much more appropriate to look at the total square footage of the complex that way. And that's really kind of how you can back into that rate per hundred, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just generally, I mean, and I don't know if you can speak to this. I, I use sure. a price per square foot, you know, uh, per year, essentially. And I, and I feel like right now, um, you know, it's generally kind of 85 cents a foot to about a dollar a foot, again, depending on the size of the units and, mm-hmm. you know, the age of the property and all those kind of metrics. But, um, what, what's the, and I don't know if you want to speak to per door range or a rate per hundred or per, per square foot, but I'm curious to know, uh, the difference between Houston, central Texas, and then North Texas, you know, yeah. DFW and kind of what you're seeing as far as a range goes. Yeah, so I think the first way to answer that would be kind of to give the basic formulas, and then I can give the ranges of what you would use in that formula. And funny enough, these formulas are actually easier than cash on cash, AR, IR. You can throw around all the different kind of numbers. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, most owners or acquisition people or syndicators, they can give you those formulas like the back of their hand. And if I ever ask them, how do you calculate a property premium? It always goes dead silent on the phone. And so here, here's the secret sauce. And so essentially to calculate a property premium, you're taking the TIV. I'll explain what that is in a second. You take the TIV, divide it by 100, and you multiply times the rate per 100. So let's just use an example. Let's say you got 10 million TIV, total insurable values. You divide it by 100. And let's say you multiply times a 0.65 rate per 100. You have a $65,000 property premium. It's a very straightforward calculation. So then the question would be, well, how do you get the TIV and how, what's the range that you could expect for the different rates per hundred? Well, the TIV is just the addition of the three coverages, right? You have a building coverage, you have income coverage, and you have contents coverage. Those three things added together, let's say in this example, make the $10 million. 
And then, you know, your rate per hundred, that's really where you have to start looking at the agent and their familiarity in the market. And so your question was, you know, let's look at Dallas or Houston or San Antonio. We can look at different major markets around Texas. And, you know, you can list, let's say, 40 or 50 different companies, knowing their appetite and what's their upper boundary and lower boundary for that rate per hundred, you can really start to get calculated guesses that become extremely accurate. Now, for us, we no longer have to guess. We have a fixed rate. Um, but let's just use kind of in the open market, what would be some comparisons between, let's say, Houston, which is more coastal, and Dallas, which is definitely not coastal. Um, you know, I would say last year in Houston, it was a call it a 0.7 up to maybe a 0.85 would be a kind of a good range that you could use for Houston. That has been dramatically turned on its head as of January 1st this year. I have not seen a lot of, uh, I'm not seeing really any quotes coming back for less than a dollar rate. And most of them are a 1.1 to 1.3 range, especially if you get on the south side of Houston. Um, now, if you flip over to Dallas as an example, I'd say last year you could probably see anywhere from a 0.55 up to a 0.65 would be probably a good standardized range. And that's now probably been increased as of January 1st up to let's just use uh, like a 0.65 to like a 0.8 uh, in that ballpark. Now, depending on the property characteristics, of course, things can change. You can definitely get a 0.9 rate up in Dallas, too. Um, yeah. but, but these are all in terms of what's called for $100 of insurance. That's the price in terms of cents. So you would say, Hey, this is 85 cents worth of price or premium for a hundred dollars worth of coverage. Um, and that's the, the most easy the easiest way in order to, to compare things and force all variables to be equal rather than just saying, Hey, it's $600 a door. Yeah, but how large is the unit, right? So if you can force variables to be equal, that's the best way to do a comparison. And then would Central Texas, Austin, San Antonio be similar to Dallas? It would be very similar. Yes, yeah, I'd say for, for most instances, unless there's some type of a loss or some other major different characteristic that uh, let's say you know, unit sizes are different or the coverage amounts are different, but let's just assume all variables are equal. For the most part, these are going to be very similar once you get past tier one, tier two coastal counties. Um, they're going to be in a similar bucket. Um, now, if you get into a different state, right? So I know I've just gave kind of examples, let's say in that 0 0.7, 0 0.8 range. Um, now, if you flip over to, I'll just go kind of way left field here, but let's say you flip over to Phoenix, Arizona, you know, they're at a 0 0.3 rate, right? So it's extremely cheap because they don't have the wind exposure that you would typically have here, whether that be, you know, down at the coast, if you're getting hurricanes or if you're getting up, up more north, if you're getting hailstorms or whatever it might be. Um, the different types of natural disasters that could occur are different. And so the different losses you would be exposed to are much more minimized from a risk perspective. Um, so I think it also goes kind of like a, an area by area. And so what we look at is using my fixed rate, how can I take uh, that to the markets where I know my fixed rate is below what I would call the city average? So if I could just go take a 100 random quotes or a 1,000 random quotes from anybody on the market, right? take a melting pot average, I would just call that like a city average. And there's pretty much in anywhere in Texas that's non-coastal, my fixed rate is substantially below um, what would be the open market rate. And so it's just like taking candy from a baby at that point. And I think from the buyer's realm of, uh, of looking at how to underwrite these deals, you really got to find either a schedule like that that has a fixed rate or understand how the market changes and the factors that affect it, right? Um, so that's kind of a quick and easy way of how do you calculate it? What are kind of some standard ranges to look at? Um, the other thing I would tell you, and I guess kind of going back to the misconception realm, 
the standard escalators that I see a lot of times people use in underwriting, you know, there's income expense, uh, income escalators and uh, expense escalators. Insurance is not a typical escalator. I wouldn't apply a normal 3% or a 5% escalator. Um, it really does need to be underwritten separate than any other expense and how they're looking at if there's a five-year or a seven-year hold, um, that item no, does need to be treated much different than a standardized 3% increase, if that makes sense. It does make sense, although I don't like to hear it as a broker. <laughs> uh, but uh, what, so, all right, if you got a management company that's got 50,000 units um, under their master, master policy and you guys have 50,000 units, what, what's the difference? Like what makes you got, what, what makes, you know, you different? Sure. Yeah. So on the property management realm, they're trying to do this for really what it boils down to is ease and somewhat of a premium reduction. And so when you can group it by one common entity, let's say being the property management company, I would tell you they're probably not going through that 120 page policy and, and redlining and itemizing out to, to question and improve and build in the bells and whistles to every minute degree. They're just not wearing an insurance hat and whatever the insurance guy tells them, they're just going to pretty much roll with. Whereas a schedule that's been built by, you know, some industry experts partnered with one of its, we're using the largest commercial uh, property brokerage in the entire country. Um, this is really like the powerhouse team and it's built from the insurance lens rather than the property management lens or even just the ownership lens. And so, you know, I, I can tell you there's plenty of policies that I know of different master schedules and I'm not going to name any names, but I, w I wouldn't put a dollar of my money into that just because of how the insurance is structured, regardless of the returns, regardless of how amazing it looks on paper. You know, if I had a million dollars of my money in there and it's not properly covered when the natural disaster hits, whatever it might be, insurance is really meant for whenever, you know, the, the stuff hits the fan, right? And if at the end of the day, if you think that you're covered for it and you're not, that is more painful than any upside or downside of rent growth, any type of valuations or cap swings. You know, you could have a cap rate go up or down different compressions. Yes, that can affect value. But if you have a $4 million loss, I can promise you that is a much more heavy impact on cash flow than swings and cap rate, right? Or, or even rent growth. And so those major losses are really what you have to be protected for when things go wrong. One of the other things I would just say kind of in, in the, the realm of underwriting, because as we can tell, you know, being in a hard market, how do I add value to people looking at buying deals, right? Because that's really the big point of people listening to this. They're trying to gather golden nuggets about insurance. And, and what I would tell you is how you underwrite the deals for the next 18 to 24 months needs to be heavily scrutinized from the insurance aspect, whether you use you know, strategic insurance or another company, I have, uh, use whoever you want. But I just think from an underwriting perspective, knowing how to properly underwrite those numbers are going to have a substantial impact on returns. Because I have several people right now that are calling me with increases, trying to transfer from other companies. And, you know, at certain areas, I have a limited exposure where I'll cut that off. And I have a 31 person wait list right now in a particular area because they didn't underwrite the deal properly. And so a lot of times I'll hear where people are just kind of shoving a number because it fits a box um, and it's not something that's been validated in some way. So my, my one golden nugget would be partner with someone that you know is an expert in that field and really question the insurance number for the next couple of years 
and understand what constitute the coverage. How is that coverage translated with that rate per hundred to get your premium and to make sure that it, it has truly been verified? You know, because from our side, we don't do any other type of insurance. A lot of these other agents still have quotas from their boss for home life and auto, and they do a little bit of multifamily. We won't even do other types of commercial, like, you know, let's say retail or office. We won't even do senior or student. We only do 100 plus unit multifamily. That is exclusively what we do. And when you do that for 70 or 80 hours, you do become the expert and it's surgeon level quality, right? So find, you definitely use us if you'd like to use the quote tool. You'll get a price within 60 seconds and it's 100% exact for non-coastal. But whoever it might be, someone similar to me as well. You need a partner on your team that you're not handling as a vendor one transaction at a time. And you're just kind of burn and a turn, burn and turn to one guy to the next. Find someone and bring them on your team that really understands insurance. And you treat them as a partner on the deal for a portfolio-wide multi-year strategy. And you can have an insurance expert that has a constant pulse in the market to help your underwriting. Because if you just shove a 5% escalator and cross your fingers that that works... I'm seeing people coming and scrambling at this time because they're getting burned in the market. So I think from the golden nugget perspective, that would be one of the small two millimeter shifts in the mental mindset would be rather than looking for an insurance vendor, look for an insurance partner, find someone that can help you across your portfolio as a multi-year strategy. And I know that's a weird kind of a shift, um, but it's the same thing even on your side, right? Usually when you help someone buy a deal, they, you should, you know, typically they'll help when the disposition comes around too. You're, you're looking for someone that you can trust long-term, right? Yeah. What do you, what do you think about the future? And I know obviously it's hard to tell, but um, it, as far as North Texas goes, that's where I'm located. That's where I'm focused. Sure. As far as North, and then maybe this is a selfish question, but as far as North Texas is concerned, if there's no, I mean, we're always going to have the hail damages, you know, maybe every once in a while we have a tornado. Um, what, you know, we had huge increases, you know, sometimes 25, 30% plus, um, this year on premiums. What, what is, you know, does it, does it ever come down? What does it take to come down as far as premiums go? What is the, what does the future look like in the next, you know, three to five years? So when you see the big increases, it is a delayed effect from a major natural disaster. Now that might be three to six months. That could be 12 to 18 months. But at some point down the pipeline, after a major natural disaster, expect it to come. Now, you're exactly right um, when you said the 25 to 30%. What, what we're seeing from most people that are trying to transfer from another agent to my agency, I'm seeing in the non-coastal realm, 25 to 35% increases from other agencies. And in coastal areas, and this is just within the last five or six weeks, and if you don't have a recent pulse, this might sound insane, but it's about 70 to 80% or more for coastal areas. And so, you know, and I've seen plenty of examples where people are getting more than a double from what they had last year um, if you're in a coastal county. And when I say tier one, tier two, what that is is defined by TWIA, Texas Windstorm Insurance Association. So tier one means it's a county that touches the coast. Tier two is a county that touches the county that touches the coast, like one step removed, essentially. And uh, if you are within two counties of the coastline, Anywhere in pretty much any state, most especially Texas is what I focus on, of course, um, you can absolutely see 70 and 80 percent increases or more. But kind of going back to what you're saying. So DFW, of course, that's kind of the area that you're looking at and looking at projections and looking into the future. 
If anybody tells you they have a crystal ball, immediately throw out their opinion right away. So I'm going to tell you, of course, this is all speculation, of course. But what I would say is 18 to 24 month range, I would expect this to continue to be a hard market. Um, I do think that there would be some bit of a softening effect. Um, Hopefully that we do have a slow year for hurricanes, for example, that can help Texas quite a bit. They're saying that there's going to be the El Nino effect, and hopefully that pushes more of the activity to the West Coast. That could also help as well for 2023. If we have a slower activity, whether it's whatever the type of loss, not just hurricanes, of course, that's more coastal, but whether it be, you know, hail or different types of tornadoes, whatever it might be, um, the lower claim activity can definitely help. Um, But I would say let's just use that 18-month range as a hard market. Now, your next question was, is what happens in that market once it does soften? Um, What I would tell you is I don't think that it's ever going to fully return to where it's at today. I think it's going to continue to go up, but the softening or that reversal would be more of a plateaued effect. And potentially there could be somewhat of a dip and it becomes the new baseline. And of course, it's it's cyclical, but it never actually returns back to full zero or that that original baseline, if you want to call it a zero percent where you're breaking back even, I think you just create a new baseline and it could have some bit of a dip. Um, and it, and it's, it's going to be largely based on the hurricanes now uh, for coastal property and, you know, hailstorms or different markets throughout Texas. But um, I don't know that these are ever going to necessarily return to zero percent of an increase per se. It would be just a, a, a new baseline. And you looking at it from that perspective, we have to start to underwrite you know, because I help a lot of these whenever they're underwriting, they basically sit me down as if I'm on their team, because that's truly how we look at this, is I'm a partner on the team. Um, And when we look at the underwriting together, I try to help and educate how do you underwrite these with more accuracy rather than just a stamp it in the box kind of number. Um, And so for that next 18 month period, I would really start to increase those insurance escalators substantially more than what you've been used to in the last year or two. Okay. So for the next two years, I mean, what are you talking like 20%? I would say if you, if you have someone that has some bit of a schedule that can really shield from the market increases, yeah, 15 to 20% could be a good feel. If you're in the open market or if you're on a monoline policy, I would say that it's probably going to be more like 30%. Um, and if it's coastal, you know, you really have to do sensitivity analysis. I don't know that I want to give you a firm percentage. I will tell you that I have seen a lot of people in the 70 to 80% range. Now you can't underwrite that because no deal will work at that point. Um, But just know for probably a 12 month period for coastal, um, that there are going to be very, very steep increases and then it should plateau. Um, And again, this is all pure speculation. None of this could be true. In the next six weeks, I might get new information (laughs) and everything changes, right? Because um, yeah. January 1st was really a big reality check, um, and, and nobody could have seen this coming. But that $60 billion shortfall can have a major effect, which is obviously is what we're seeing as a rippling effect throughout the market. Yeah. Okay. Well, great, Rock. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, what's sure. the best way for listeners to reach out, learn more about yourself and you know your, uh, your company, Strategic Insurance? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I would say the single best way, instead of just being able to contact, and I'll give my, my phone number and email, but the single best and most useful resource for anyone listening, if they're looking to buy a property, a uh, hundred plus unit multifamily or have a renewal, 
There's a website that we built. It's called quote.strategicinsurer.com. And that's with an ER at the end of it. My email is going to be rock at strategic insurer. Um, but feel free to contact me with any questions or if there's something that doesn't make sense. I want to be a source of education. I don't look to sell people on things. And I've, I've told people that I've been in sales for a decade and a half. I've never once sold a single product in my life. I educate. And then once you know the difference, you never want to go back. And I hate the fact that this industry does feel very salesy. And it's very slimy from certain people. And so that's something that I want to make a big shift in is look for education to know the difference. And you can make a much more educated decision. But that quote tool, the reason that that's valuable is it does provide 100% accurate property quotes for DFW and any non-coastal area of Texas. And it will deliver that within 60 seconds. So if you're underwriting a deal, let's say you get a, 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 you know, a deal that's get blasted, let's say, from, for example, from Mark, you have a, a deal that you're looking at or even 10 deals or 100 deals. You know, we don't have any limitations on that quote tool. You can, I have people submitting 20 deals a day through that tool. There's no login. There's nothing that's required. It's not a paid service. You can use it. It's free. You can use it as many times as you want. And rather than underwriting to a fictitious number for a three-month deal cycle, and then you get your insurance agent involved right before the closing line, the closing table, and then they firm it up right at the end of the process, it is much more of an advantageous position to have a firm number from the beginning. So you know where you stand in the deal, especially with the market that's like this. And we update those rates on that quote tool literally on a weekly basis and sometimes even daily. Um, so having a, a really good number from, from the get-go is a very wise move in the underwriting world. So that would be kind of my, my golden nugget to the, to the group, uh, quote.strategicinsurer.com. Awesome. Again, thanks, Rock. Appreciate your time. Have a good weekend and look forward to seeing you soon. Always a pleasure to hear from everybody. I hope you have a great weekend.